Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Man, excited to be with you here today. I, can we just thank our worship team one more time this morning for an incredible job? Um, if you've ever led a team in the summer in Arizona, you know what it's like to schedule. So if you serve on this team, I just want to say thank you for being a part. Uh, this is one of my favorite parts of the year because everyone starts coming back. This is when you realize that you actually do have a seat. You don't think you have a seat at a church. Like we're a new church. Who would think you actually have a chair that you always sit in? But then you come to church and you realize that's my off week person, right? It's like, right? like, oh, when I'm not here, they're in my seat. Uh, but, but I love it because we come back together and there's a chance, but I also just appreciate everyone who has served so faithfully over the summer uh, because God has been moving over the summer, amen? God has been doing great things. It was so fun uh, to have our big back-to-school outreach. We had 55... 55 people serving, but we were also able to do that because of the generosity of everyone who's been giving to Kingdom Builders and, and regular tithes and offering and just seeing like all that God has been doing. It's, it's really been incredible. Um, but I, I have to say, and I, and I tell people this when they move here, if you can survive July, you can survive anything in Arizona because July is two things here. You will likely feel one of two things, hot and alone <laughs> because it's always hot, except this year it's actually been all right. I mean, overall, I feel like we can't complain. It's been raining. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, all right for us, Haven. All right for us here, the Fremen that live on Arrakis of the earth. That's from my nerds. There you are. That's your nerd nod for the day. Uh, the other thing is alone because everyone travels, right? It's like everyone's gone somewhere, and we don't blame people for traveling. We're all, everyone's traveling, right? Uh, we traveled. It was great. If you're, some people are watching online because they're traveling. In fact, uh, our incredible uh, kids pastor Delaney and youth director Austin, they're traveling right now. So they're probably watching because they're very spiritual. Uh, but we're thankful they got time off to spend together and, and uh, in, in friendship, and they're there with friends, which is awesome. Uh, but I think there's no better time than to begin a series as we're getting back in the swing of things, so to speak, as we head into the fall and encounter the holidays, which will get us out of the swing, and then the New Year's, which will get us out of... Isn't it weird as an adult you're waiting? Well, in the next season, then life will be easier. And then there's no such thing as the next season. There's just you deciding what you're going to do now, right? Uh, but I think there's no better time to really talk about friendship because... Though there are 336 million people in this country, and though that would give us the numerical superiority to assume that there's a great deal of people in our life that we're connected with in a deep way, the reality is pretty much the opposite of that. Actually, many of us lack in relationships. It's interesting, as I've been preparing for this series called The Lost Art of Friendship, I've been reading over and over again writers who have said that Western culture has an epidemic of loneliness. And I would say this is probably statistically undeniable, that Western culture has an epidemic of loneliness. I was reading a, a 2017 poll in the UK, and it said that 33% of people often or always feel lonely. And that was defined, that often or always feel lonely was defined as chronic loneliness, often or always. 
of the people that were polled, they, they broke it down into age groups, and I found this age group pretty interesting. People who were over 65, half of those people over 65 said that a pet or the TV was their main source of company. We're like, yeah, but that's, those, those are the English. We're different. We don't drink as much tea, and our island's bigger, right? But the reality is that the U.S. is actually a little worse. See, in, in 1970... 10% of people identified as often or always lonely, chronic loneliness. In 1980, 20% suffered from chronic loneliness. In 2010, 40% said they suffered from chronic loneliness. And today, around 50% identify as suffering chronic loneliness, as often or always feeling alone. And so I, I truly believe that the pandemic compounded our issue of loneliness, right? Statistics say that 47% of people lost contact with a friend during the pandemic. And I think collectively we could say at least half of us said, yeah, I did lose contact with a friend during that period of time. But the pandemic did not start the issue of loneliness that our Western culture is facing, and we have the statistics to say that it has been growing for a long time. In fact, the proof that it's a growing industry or growing problem is that there's a growing industry to solve it. You can usually tell those go hand in hand, right? So there's apps to find friends. There's apps to find groups of friends and different things. There's actually now services where you can get a friendship coach and that friendship coach will come and teach you how to be, I know we assume friendship is someone else's business, but it, they will teach you how to become a friend. It's a growth industry. Pretty crazy, but kind of smart, right? What's interesting is we, we look at the statistics of friendship, it's actually millennials who have the most trouble connecting. Millennials would be the people who right now would be in their 30s and 40s. A lot of culture, I think, works against connection. It's all kinds of factors. I can't get into all of them, but here's some of them that I've seen as I begin to do research on friendship and loneliness. For one, culture is more divided. Culture is more divided. One of the biggest statistics currently that about friendship divisions and, let's say, breakdowns in friendship is political. I was reading a study that said 28% of people that identify as Democrats and 10% of people who identify, identify as Republicans have ended relationships due to politics. The largest group being liberal women, 33% have ended relationships due to political disagreements. Get this, 22% of people polled Americans said they have ended a relationship because of Donald Trump. Pro or against, that's not what they ask. It's just like, because of him, he, his involvement in that equation, they've ended a relationship. 20, uh, like a quarter, of, a quarter of people. That is wild. I have not ended a single relationship because of Donald Trump. But I'm sure we can, you, you might all think of somebody that you unfollowed physically. Like, I don't know. All I'm saying is we become more culturally divided, right? This is not one of those sermons, right? Also, individualism. Americans are uh, marrying later in life and traveling more often than before. You know, this generation travels more than any generation before them. But that creates problems, right? Because if you're gone all the time, then you come back and want friends. Your friends have moved on because you've been gone. 
And it is unreasonable to say, hey, wait around while I'm gone for a couple months, and then when I come back, we'll pick up where we left off. And they're like, who are you? But it's just the reality. Again, I'm not passing judgment, but just recognizing this is the reality of life. Like, we have the financial, a lot, there is a greater financial ease of traveling than ever before. And there's a lot of beautiful places to see in the world, right? But it has an effect. Those with kids, I thought this was interesting, those with kids. Studies have shown that parents of this generation of young kids that are coming up spend twice as much time with their children than the parents of the generation before them. Which, not necessarily a bad thing either. I don't think we need another generation raised on Ninja Turtles and Pizza Pockets like my generation was, right? I'm a child of the 80s. I can tell you right now, this had some negative effects. We make bad choices. We vote weird. I'm just telling you, like, we do crazy stuff, right? But, you know, Ninja Turtles shouldn't have been our parents. But the reality is that it does have an effect because even if it's a good thing, spending time with our children and raising them, it also takes time from other relationships, right? It's reasonable. This generation, it's interesting. The millennial generation is more likely to travel away from home, but less likely to move away from home. I know, shocking. That one came quick, huh? You're like, what? Less likely to move away from home. Mom and dad are more at the center. So, for example, in 1990, 17% of men said that they reach out to their parents before reaching out to a friend to make a major decision. And now, 40% of men reach out to their parents instead of a friend with dealing with a personal problem, making a personal decision. Not good or bad, just has a difference. How about work from home, working, working in an office? That was like a major way people connected. And not, not good or bad. Again, there's no, there's no values on, on this. I'm just saying, like, we have to understand the problem is that if we all work from home and the workplace was the place eight hours a day we saw people, it's a he who spends the most time wins principle. You used to go in and see Greg by the water cooler for 10 hours a day or whatever it was every day. You worked a job for 10, 15 years. Now the, the time at a job is shorter and the location is less constant. And so there's a problem of who do I see and when? Might show up into the office. There might not even be an office, let alone people there. And so there's some issues that have come up, but another one, and I think one of the biggest ones is social media, is it's created a false understanding of companionship in our minds. Because social media is great at making acquaintances. And I'm not like anti, you know, like social media in every form. I, some days I am. Uh, come on, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like a Tuesday, you're like, social media is the worst. And the next day you're like, oh, that's how you tie a fly? You know, like, oh, cool, yeah, oh yeah, I can replace that on my car, yes, thank you. Big Wheels 28, like whatever, you know, it's like, I don't know, right? It's, it's helpful, I understand, but it, it's good at making acquaintances, but it's not going to making friends. And acquaintances don't reduce loneliness. In fact, research shows that having a lot of acquaintances actually increases loneliness. That the more casual acquaintances you try to stay updated on online, the more lonely you actually feel, according to research. Why? Well, because the people you follow, a lot of times, don't really know you. Your acquaintances don't really know you. They're there because it's convenient, or there's a mutual interest, or, you know, right time, right place, or whatever it might be. But the hard part is when the hard times come and you actually need a friend, they're not there, right? They're not, they're not ready, they're not prepared. It's like, oh yeah, we have the same interests, and you might develop a friendship. 
but you're no longer interesting, right? Come on, you know if you walk through with someone with a friend? When your friend is going through it, they're not that fun to be around. You're being around them because you love them. Then later it gets interesting again. You start doing hobbies, but when they're in the thick of it, it's work. You don't do that work with an acquaintance. The other problem with keeping a lot of acquaintances online is it, it releases a often dangerous, natural, voyeuristic tendency that lives within many of us. In that we are inclined to watch almost from the background the life of another person and envy it and, and think of it and wonder why we're not involved. It's weird. The more people you follow, it, it doesn't make you feel more on the inside of a community. People say, I love this community we have. Normally, those people often feel like they are on the outside of community looking in, looking in on it because they're just acquaintances. But Proverbs 18, 24, how many of you know the word of the Lord is good? Amen. Proverbs 18, 24 says this. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So you can have a ton of companions, a ton of acquaintances, but they don't stick when the difficult times come. The only kind of friend that heals loneliness, that really heals this epidemic of loneliness we have, are the kinds of friends who stick in the thick or thin, in the storm. And though social media is great for acquaintances, it's not good for making friends. And I, I think we could all come to the same point, church, I hope we could, that we need true friends. That culturally we have lost the art of friendship. That we need meaningful connection with others. We need deep, lasting friendships with others. And so I'm just going to tell you, if culturally we're going this way and we're all saying collectively, man, you know what, we're right. We need deep, meaningful connections. That means something is going to have to give. Amen? Something is going to have to change. So I, can I just encourage you as we do this series, don't hit me with, I, I can't, I don't know. I just want to encourage you. We kind of have to recognize something's got to shift. Something's got to change in us, through us, by us, through Christ. Because there's a ton of research that loneliness is, is hard on us. There's a lot of research that uh, loneliness is hard on our mental health. I'm sure that doesn't shock anyone. Like we kind of recognize collectively, culturally, that loneliness is bad for mental health, that it intensifies anxiety and depression, that it intensifies a struggle with uh, mental health and mental health issues, the things you're facing. It's also associated with early onset uh, dementia and even Alzheimer's. But what many people don't know is that loneliness affects our physical state as well. There was a 2015 study that found a correlation between chronic loneliness and chronic inflammation. If you have an autoimmune disease and you're fully aware of what, uh, what kind of damage inflammation and chronic inflammation can do, but it's very damaging to the body, right? It can cause stroke, diseases, cancer, pain. In 2010, there was a review study of 148 studies on loneliness. And here's the, conclu the conclusion whoo, that they came to is that loneliness has the detrimental effect equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That chronic loneliness 
is so detrimental to your body that it is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's 105 cigarettes a week and 5,475 cigarettes a year. To the person who's like, I'm just too busy to make friends. For the sake of your survival, it kind of sounds like you need it. Right? We haven't even gotten into like the good chunky verses yet. We're just in the science. Scientifically, it's not good for you. It's not good for our bodies. It's not good for our minds. Research shows we're not meant to be alone. Mentally, physically, spiritually, it takes a toll on us if we are alone. In Genesis 2, right, God creates the whole world. Creates the whole world, Genesis 1. And then Genesis 2, he says something. First, first uh, maybe negative word uh, about creation, if you, if you take it as such. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. He looks at creation, it's perfect, and he says, oh, but one thing I want to change. Here it is. I don't think man should be alone. I think it should be in relationship. That's because of something really important. If you're taking notes, write this down. I don't know if you like to take notes. I like to take notes when I'm listening to sermons. It really helps me. We are created in the image of a relational God. Hear me. We are created in the image of a relational God. So mankind, we are created in the image of God. If you're a believer, right? Creation, we are created in the image of the triune God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, distinct but all God, part of the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's God. And Scripture tells us that God is love. That, that is who He is. That is His nature. And one of the main things about love is that love requires interpersonal relationships. It requires relationship to, to love, to be in the act of loving. You don't love the void, right? Love requires interpersonal relationships. And God has interpersonal relationships. He loves in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we are made in the image of this relational triune God with interpersonal relationships. We are made in his image, which means, and follow me here, relationships are as important and integral to us as to God. That God cannot stop being triune, and we cannot, as those being created in his triune relational image, right? We cannot stop being relational. If a relational being creates you in his image, you're relational. <laughs> That's how it works. So there's an important thing then that we need to understand. If you're writing this down, you got another thing to write down. Ready? We were made for relationship. If you want to make it personal, right? I was made for relationship. We were made to be known and to know others. Did you know that? You were made to be loved and to love others. You were made to be accepted and to accept others. You were created to give help and to receive help. You were created to challenge and be challenged. You were created, we were created to have our lives woven into the lives of others in significant ways. That's how we were created. It mirrors the nature and the character and the attitude of the God who created us. 
And so when we don't have that, when we separate ourselves from that, it robs us of our inherent nature. It goes against our inherent nature. And so it very clearly wreaks havoc on our minds, on our hearts, on our bodies, and on our souls. Why? Because they all live right here with us. That's how you can be heartbroken and have it affect your physical health. Because it's not just in your mind. Your, mind, your brain is an organ in your body. It's going to matter. Yeah. We were made for relationship. And so this series, why do a series on friendship? Because I want to look at the epidemic of loneliness, but important, I want to move beyond this moment and begin to look at the Bible and begin to look at what the Word of God has to say about the role that friendship plays in growing the kingdom. We're going to look at spiritual friendships next week, and I'm so excited because I think it's going to encourage some of you because we are kingdom people. Which means as believers, as kingdom people, that we seek first the kingdom in everything we do, including our relationships. See, at the beginning of the series, you might begin, and even right now, you might begin to think about friendship as a way in which to alleviate your loneliness. And I just want to encourage you, that's totally okay. Hear me say, if, if you're going to approach this series being like, I just don't want to be lonely. This is for me. I need a friend. I don't want to be lonely. Can I just say amen, right? Right? How many of you are like, man, I would love to end this series with, with, with more friends than I started it with? How many of you? Just raise your hand. How many of you? I'd love to end this. Okay, raise your hands like, like you mean it. Don't be ashamed. And just look. Look around. These are the people who you can text now, right? <laughs> but it's up to you. I just preach. You got to do, right? That's how it works. <laughs> I'm doing this too. But this is what we want to look at. We want to not only alleviate our loneliness, but there's another step. But can I encourage you, as you begin to understand friendship, you're going to begin to help each other live out the kingdom. And that's when it gets fun. That's when it gets exciting. When it moves beyond, like, oh, I just don't want to go to lunch by myself after church. <laughs> to, man, what can we do in the kingdom together? How can I support them? Man, last week, Paula and Melanie prayed for my back, at, and my mom prayed for my back at the end of service. It was amazing. Totally and completely healed. Totally and completely healed. It was incredible. She, like, laid hands on me. They prayed, and I just turned around and said, she said, you want me to keep praying? I said, no, it's healed. You can keep praying if you want to pray, because it's nice, but it's healed. Like, you can just keep moving, right? Uh, it was amazing, and that's what kingdom friendships do, right? Today, I want to talk about the most important spiritual friendship, the most important kingdom friendship, the best friend we could ever have, the one that we lean on the most. And since you're in church, you might guess it, but let me just tell you, it's Jesus. <laughs> you're like, I knew that one. I'm new to church, but I knew that one. If you're new to church, just know, if there's ever a question, yell out Jesus, because even if it's not, right, it's not the right answer, nobody can tell you what's wrong, right? Unless it's like, who should we crucify? <laughs> Oh, hold on. It's Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus today. Because friendship with God is friendship with Jesus because it is in Jesus that our friendship with God is established. Go with me. If you have your Bibles, jump with me to John chapter 15. If you don't have your Bible, don't stress. Words are on the screen. If you use your iPhone, oh, spill some. If you use your iPhone and you're on like 5% battery, you're not less spiritual for reading it up there. Don't worry. It's, it's good. John chapter 15 verse 13 this is jesus talking to his disciples he says 
Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Did you catch that? No longer do I call you servants. The servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that you heard from the Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Okay, let's pause there for a second, because there's a lot going on in this scripture. But this is an awesome scripture. This scripture, and then probably the scripture where Jesus prays that his disciples would know that God loves them as much as he loves Jesus. These are two of my favorite portions of scripture. But John 15, 13, if you look down in verse 14, he says this great phrase, You are my friends if you do what I command you. It's kind of an interesting phrase, right? He says... If you do what I command, you're my friends if you do what I command you. I don't know if that sounds like a friend, right? Let's just pause right there, right? If I was like, hey, man, you want to be my friend? You're like, sure. I'm like, then obey me. You'd be like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> that sounds like the master-servant thing you said was over, right? Like, hey, you want to be my friends? Yes, then do what I command. Like, I uh, no. <laughs> like, I'm leaving this Chipotle immediately, right? It doesn't sound right. So, so the question is, are we reading it with the right understanding, right? Because that doesn't seem to make sense. Like, Jesus can't be saying, obey or else, right? On the condition of your obedience, we will be friends. But obedience is obviously involved in the equation somewhere because he said the word, right? And it's a part of this. So let, let, let's understand this from a couple ways. In one way, it's important that we understand the New Testament makes it very, very clear that our position with God is not based on what we do, but what Jesus has done. That my standing before God is not based on how smart I am. It's not based on what I've accomplished, how successful I am. It is based on the love of God that flows from the cross, that flows from Calvary. Jesus could not have done any more to express how much he loves us, and that is where we get our value. Nothing you can do, will do, or have done will ever add or subtract to your worth, position, or standing before God. Now, the choices you might make might um, increase or inhibit your understanding of your intimacy with God. If you don't follow Him, you don't walk with Him, right, then that, that's going to be a struggle, right? But that doesn't affect our worth. It doesn't affect our value. This is so important. We're going to come back to this, but it's so important. Because everything we do in the kingdom is to express the worth we already have, not to acquire a worth we do not have. Some of you, you need to just alter call in your heart right now. Hear me. You've been in church a while, and, and you need to hear this. Everything that you do is just to express the worth you already have. It is not to acquire a worth you do not have. Are you with me? Are you with, are you with me? That's big. That's big. See, God wants us to live out the value he created us to have. And that's why it's important we understand this if, because in common Greek, there's two kinds of ifs. In English, uh, similarly, 
But in common Greek, there's specifically two kinds of ifs. There's a conditional if. Someone say conditional. And there's a descriptive if. Someone say descriptive. So let me give you an example. Okay. Say uh, we're, we're on a football team together, right? Uh, if it's not football, just transfer the analogy to something that makes sense to you. But I hope this makes sense. If not, I'll give you another analogy later. We're on a football team. The coach comes in. He looks at us and he says, listen, if we win this game, we're going to the Super Bowl. Yep. Okay. That's conditional, right? If you win, you will go to the Super Bowl. Okay, non-sports fans, you're still with me, though, right? We're straightforward. The thing with the commercials. I'm going to go to that. Descriptive would be the coach coming in at halftime saying, listen, bringing the team in. You know, those like rallying meetings. Rudy, Rudy, right? We're going to fight him in the bird, right? He brings him in and says, listen, you're a true football player if you work hard, if you have grit, if you don't give up an inch, if you stand for your team, you protect your quarterback, you come together, you believe for more, then you're, a, I don't know, insert team, then, you know, then, whatever that team might be, then you're an Eagles football player, right? You're an Eagles football player. If you don't give up an inch right here, we stand, right? You already have the jersey. You're already on the team. So he's not saying, like, if you don't, he's just going to, like, rip the logo off your chest and be like, ah, right? Like, you're denumbered. But he's describing something, what it means to reach the full potential of the thing that you are. Jesus is using a descriptive if here. He's not saying, if you do what I command you, then we'll be friends. Not, you are my friends on the condition that you comply. That would be master-servant. But here is the reality. Can we just be real, church? Roosters crow, cows moo, bees make honey. I know we're in a world of wild identity things, but nature's things still do the nature things that they were nature-built to do, right? Cows moo, bees make honey. Friends of Jesus, obey him. Right? It's inherent. It's not a friendship with Jesus is not a reward for complying. Everything we do, obedience being one of them, comes out of friendship with him. It doesn't earn us friendship with him. Are you with me? So what is friendship with Jesus like? Sounds cool. The God of the universe? It's going to be friend. What is that? What is friendship? What, what is this invitation that he's saying, this transfer? What does Jesus mean here? Well, a couple things. One, friendship invites us into the Father's business, specifically Father God. It invites us into the Father's business. Jesus is making a contrast here, right? He says, before, I no longer call you servant, but I call you friends. If we go back and we look together at verse 15, he says, the servant doesn't know what the master's doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is inviting them into the Father's business. He says, I've made it known to you, this gospel kingdom business. That's what a friend does, right? A friend invites you to the inside. If you want to be friends with somebody, you have to invite them on the inside of your concerns, of your interests, of your plans, of your hopes, of your dreams, right? You invite them in on the insides. Masters don't invite slaves on the inside, right? Like, no master is like, let me invite you in and explain this to you. No, they're a slave. It's like, do this or else. That's that relationship. 
But a friend invites you into the business, and Jesus does that with us. He says, I've let you into the Father's plans, so now everything you do is done out of relationship and understanding, not an or-else mentality. (laughs) But secondly, and I think this is important, friendship is a more mature relationship than being a servant. I don't want us to miss this. Let me say that again. Friendship is a more mature relationship than being a servant. In verse 15, he says, no longer do I call you. He says, no longer. We've moved past this. I love church tradition. I don't know about you. I love church tradition. And it's interesting. In church tradition, being a friend of God was considered the highest form of relationship. In fact, some of our early church fathers would say that God is friendship. We would really emphasize that God is love. They say God is friendship because they saw friendship as the highest model of a loving relationship you could have. You might say, well, isn't that marriage? Not in the ancient Near East, right? (laughs) Things have changed, right? But I would say if you're going to marry somebody, be their friend, I'm not a marriage expert. I do pre-marriage counseling, but friendship, key feature of marriage, right? Don't marry somebody you're like, oh, no, we're not friends. <laughs> what? Okay, cool. <laughs> Let me give you this number for a counselor. <laughs> but I think it's important. I think often when we think of a relationship with God, we think of the, like, friendship level as the entry level of understanding God. It's like the childish level, right? It's like, well, you know, you start understanding God as friend, but then, like, once you've been around, you've read some books, right? Once you, you know, you've gone through the programs, then you begin to understand, you know, the, the firm relationship of God, right? It's about sacrifice and submission and serving. You know, like, once you've really, like, you really get your understanding, you realize, like, how miserable church should be, and it should just be really serious and scary because because God is very serious. You need to understand how serious it is, man. You guys don't have these conversations with people. I have these conversations with people all the time, but I'm to school for theology, and they thought they knew everything. But the reality is, yes, this walk takes sacrifice and submission, right? Yes, it takes serving. Yes, it takes serving God, but in the right mindset. See, the master-servant relationship is an entry-level relationship. It's, I'm doing this or else. And that's not to mock any of us who are in that relationship, but to say, I totally understand. Haven't we all been there? When you found Christ, weren't you in a master-servant relationship? I know for me, when God rescued me out of sin, I was in the mode of like, I do not want to go back there and do any of that. I want to, this life is awesome. I want to be here. I don't want to go back here. God, don't send me back here, right? You have those kind of guilty prayers, you know what I'm talking about? He saved you, but he's not quite your friend. But as you begin to walk in relationship with him, as you begin to mature spiritually, you're not saying, I do this, I walk this way, I, because God said so. It's because he's my friend. All of my obedience, all my submission, all my service is motivated by love because I begin to understand just how much he loves me. And so I serve others because God loved me. I submit because I can trust him. Right? I lay it all down. I, I don't live in worry. I don't be the God of myself. I can sacrifice. I can submit. I can serve freely because he's my friend. It's a higher level of understanding this relationship with God. Are you with me? 
See, in the Old Testament, did you know even in the Old Testament, God longed for this? I think sometimes we read the Old Testament, we're like, is that a different God? But no, it's the same God. He's been longing, longing for this relationship. Remember, God's desires are different than his decrees. God desires that all should come to know him and none should perish. That's a desire. A decree is that he's coming back, right? A decree is that he will judge the earth. I will judge the earth. Decree, right? It's not just a desire. Hope it happens. We'll see. <laughs> you know, it's like I haven't read the end of the Bible yet, but I don't know. It sounds like it's a good book, right? He, no, he has very clear decrees, but he has desires. And his desire is to have a relationship with his children. But he won't fo force it. Hear me. God will not force or coerce his people. So in the Old Testament, what we see a lot is this master-servant relationship. Why? Because that is a great deal of the ancient Near East thinking as it pertains to serving and walking with God. Because God is speaking to a culture, and he's, he has to work within their context. He can't just physically or supernaturally be like, now your mind you know, thinks ahead. But he's speaking to a culture in the ancient Near East that understood a relationship with God as more master-servant. And it doesn't sound super groundbreaking or life-changing to us, but just so you know, in the ancient Near East and all of the religions, people were created to be slaves of the gods, and they were commonly abused for that purpose. But Yahweh created his people, he created people to be in relationship with him. That might not sound counterculture to you, but that was mind-blowing in the ancient Near East, that they would be called children children of God. Whew. It was a relationship he longed for. And God's not coercive. He's not going to force him to think that way. But we can even see in, uh, for example, in Hosea, that God had an intent for this relationship with us way, way, way back. I just say this to give you some context. In Hosea 2.16, God says, in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Look at that, way back. In those books of the Bible, you skip in the reading plan. It's okay, no one blames you, God knows. God says, listen, Israel, I long for the day when this whole master-servant thing is over, and man, we can be friends. Where it's no longer you carrying out my will because you're afraid of what will happen, but it's you carrying out my will, my children carrying out my will because of love and relationship with me. God says, I'm longing for that. And so when he sends Jesus, what do you think he's doing? He's fulfilling that longing. I'm sending God to come be close to you so that you could come be close to me. I don't want just master servant. I want to go beyond that in relationship with you. Are you with me? See, our friendship with Jesus is motivated by love. It's not by fear. Hear me. Our friendship with Jesus is motivated by love. John 5, 13, right? Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Did you know that Jesus laid down his life for you, his friend? He proved you can't do anything else to prove that you love somebody than that, Right? That is the highest level of proving I love you, you are my friend. 
But what I love is he doesn't just leave us there, right? It's not like Jesus is like, I died for you. Now stay over here and don't touch anything. Don't make any golden calves. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to save your family, right? He's not like, no, no, no. Stay over here. Just don't screw anything up. Don't mess anything up. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to share with hurting and broken people the, 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 the hope and the life. But you just don't break. Like you're a mess. Don't break anything. Don't do anything, right? He doesn't do that, does he? Nor does he do the opposite. He doesn't stand over here and he said, you better go tell your friends about Jesus or else. You better follow me or else. You better do this or else. He doesn't do that. What does he say? The God, Emmanuel, who came down. He's the God of incarnation. He's the God who is the God of the universe who stepped down as Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. And he said, I am with you. See, every other religion on earth is about attaining up to God, except for Christianity, where God came down to atone for us so that we could walk together in relationship. And he says, man, let's go share the gospel. I'm going to bring you in on my father's business. I'm going to bring you in on the gospel business. Here's the family business. The family business is reconciliation and restoration and redemption and renewal. And we're going to go to your family and we're going to go to your work and we're going to go to the places you don't feel qualified for or prepared for and we're going to go together and we're going to see movement not by your power not by your authority but because of mine because it's not about what you've done or earned or the mistakes you make it's because I am with you he says I invite you into the business of the gospel man church how would that change if we begin to understand evangelism Less from the form of, I better tell somebody about Jesus or God's going to be mad at me. To, how can Jesus love me so much? I got to tell somebody about this, right? If I tell somebody about that taco shop because it's so good to me, and I tell somebody about that gym because it's so good to me, and that movie because it's so good to me, man, this, maybe I just don't under, I, and I haven't spent enough time thinking about how good Jesus is to me. Maybe I just need to stay there. Maybe I just need to spend a week not asking for anything, just sitting down and praying and just saying, Jesus, just remind me how good you are to me. And then everything I get up and go, I go in the goodness. Jesus is our friend. And he invites us into the business. I love this. I'm sorry, I'm getting excited, but I'm gonna end on time, I promise. That's not true, that's a lie. I'm gonna be a couple minutes late. <laughs> Let's repent of that. All right, <laughs> confess with your mouth. 2 Corinthians 5.13, I love this. Paul says, one, again, just reading. I just preaching my favorite scriptures right now. It says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this. Here we go. One has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. And those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's an awesome mission ministry of reconciliation. And Paul doesn't use the word for friend here, but he uses this great idea. He says, the love of Christ, in my scripture says, controls us, but the word there literally is compels us. So we have to be careful. That word control might trigger something in you. So let me just tell you the word literally, functionally there is compels. And that's an important word, right? The love of God compels us, which answers the question, why would Paul give up we talked about Paul last week, right? Paul was a Pharisee above Pharisees. The dude was successful. He was financially set. He was ready to rock. And then all of a sudden he decides, you know what? I think I'd rather get stoned to death twice 
be put in prison four times, live in poverty, and wander around planting churches just to have the people in those churches treat me like hot garbage, right? And then I got to write more letters back to them, right? Like, why? Why would he do that? Why put yourself, you had such a good job, man. Imagine like your son comes to you. Imagine young people going to your parents and be like, here's the deal. Um, I just, I'm telling you, I know that I'm the most successful person in my city, but I've decided to follow this guy, Jesus, and therefore I'm just going to be poor forever. Right? If you're Paul's parents, which he probably had, you're like, oh my gosh, he would have been, he could have been so successful. We know he was through Christ, right? But why does he do it? says because he's compelled by love did paul give up his promising career to 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 keep away for the moment the wrath of god like oh my gosh i just don't want his wrath no now he understood the wrath of god right he understood he read the word he he was studied in the old testament he understood judgment he understood sin he understood repentance but why did paul pursue god with everything why does he say if we're in our right mind it's for you for if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. Like, we're get willing to get a little crazy for the Lord. Why does he say that? It's because the love of Christ compelled him, not commanded him. He's saying, I was transformed by God. How much of Paul's writing is this, right? It's the Pharisee above Pharisees. I was zealous, but I was transformed by God. He met me. He knocked me down. He directed me. He gave me salvation and life. And he does not hold any trespass against me. Then he invited me into the business of grace and mercy, the gospel business. See, Paul receives the good news and is invited to participate in it. That is friendship. That's what motivated and compelled Paul, love and friendship. And can I just tell you, it's not just Paul, it's you. Jesus wants this kind of relationship with you. He says, I'm calling you to know and participate in this friendship with me and to participate in what a great friend I am and, and what I'm doing on the earth. He says, I'm calling, I'm calling out to you to come participate in that. I'm inviting you. Can I just tell you selfishly as a benefit to us, friendship with Jesus makes you a better friend to others, yeah. right? Yeah. Verse 16, immediately after it, I love it. He says, from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. See, when we begin to understand this friendship, it changes because we begin to understand that our value with God is not dependent on what we've done, which is awesome when you're having to engage with other people in interpersonal relationships because you remember that what they have done does not alter their value before God. Here's what's crazy. I guarantee you someone has offended you recently. It might even be me. I do that occasionally, <laughs> right? Sorry. Katie's like, yes, no. <laughs> but I just want you to know that that offense that you're holding on to, Jesus has already died for. Think on this for a second. You're offended by somebody. They have sinned against you. Just so you know, Jesus already died for that sin that they've done against you that offense that they've put on you, and all the offenses, by the way, that you've put on others. He's already died for them. And I think, though I'm learning every day to not do this, come on, <laughs> I think it's a bold move to take an offense off the cross and put it back on somebody because you want to stay offended. 
Another sermon. That's another sermon. <laughs> All I'm saying is it makes us better friends, right? We'll begin to look at people through the grace we've received. We begin to judge less, right? When we think, not, well, if they do this and this and this, and then we can be friends, then it will work, and then da da da. It's like, well, Jesus is friends with them now. So Jesus is friends with them now. What's holding me back? Ah, oh, they didn't text me back in time. Like, Jesus died for them. <laughs> It informs our perspective. I think in an encouraging way, we can let more stuff go, right? Anybody in your battle letting stuff, just be honest, I'm battle letting stuff go, play it over in your mind. Man, right here. Friendship with Jesus, you say, God, I know you've already died for that. You've already taken that. I release it to you. So here's what's beautiful. When we begin to understand God as friend, it changes everything. Are you still with me? No, it's warm. I chose a flannel in the middle of July or August or whatever it is. Hell month, whatever this is. I'm here. But I want us to understand together. When we begin to understand God as friend, it changes everything. Man, you guys can come up. See, some theologians think it's dishonoring to the sovereignty of God to think of him as our friend, to which I say, and here's why. <laughs> because I think that as we understand him not only as Lord of Lords, but as friend, it frames a better and more complete understanding of God. And stay with me in these last, just last five minutes here, because this is really important. Christ is King of Kings, and Christ is Lord of Lords. Christ is Lord of all. Christ is Creator of all. That is massive, right? That is huge. But if that's all we knew about God, if that's all we knew about Christ, that would inherently relegate us to simply a servant mindset, an entry-level understanding of God. We'd have one picture and perspective on who God is. That is accurate and true. He is those things. So it's not an incorrect understanding of who God is. It's just an incomplete understanding of who God is. Yes, it's true. He is the Lord, and we submit everything to Him. But if that's all it is, it's a servant mindset. And it would be hard to be compelled by love and not fear if that's all we knew about God. But it changes everything when we remember that the God of universe of the universe is also your friend. That the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is also your friend. That the God who spoke the universe into being is also your friend. That God is transcendent, that God is powerful, that he is awesome and mighty, and just as awesome and intense as that is, God is also intimately with you as a friend, which is equally as awesome and intense, right? Right To think that epic, massive, huge, intimately with you as your friend. Like I said, God is the God of incarnation, of coming to earth, coming close, Emmanuel. The Christ who came close to be our friend. And it changes everything in us when we remember that not only is God as vastly and great, as great and vast as he is out there, he is also great in here with us. Can we be honest here in just these last moments? I think some of us would rather have a list of rules. Many are more comfortable working for God than being intimate with him. Right? We'd rather have a master servant because you get the list of rules and it's kind of like a, it's a yay or nay thing here. We don't feel worthy of a deeper friendship. 
And oftentimes we struggle just with the idea of friendship anyways, which we're going to break some of those chains over the next four weeks. Because friendship takes time. It takes intimacy. It takes trust. It takes love. And that's what God wants. But often that's not what we want to give to the Lord. It's easy to think of him in the clouds as some Zeus-looking Sistine Chapel pointing figure. But it becomes real when we think of him as our friend. That the king of kings and lord of lords is a friend who knows you. That the king of kings and lord of lords is a friend who loves you. That the lord of lords of heaven is your friend who will never leave you or forsake you. When the storm comes, he will not leave you. That's a friend, right? That the creator of the universe is intimately interested in your interests. That's a friend. That he's concerned with what you're concerned about. Do you know that God who spoke the stars into creation also cares about your family? That he's concerned about your paycheck just like you are? Not like he's worried about it, but he sees your concerns and cares for them. Because guess what? That's what friends do. That's at least what good kingdom friends do, amen? See, Jesus, the risen Lord, as you know, Jesus, the one who defeated death, hell, and the grave, invites you on the inside of what he's doing and the Father's business so you can know and be part of it. And maybe you checked out at some point in this sermon, so I'll just check in for this brief moment here. This is important. God wants to cultivate a friendship with you. Hear me. God Almighty God wants to cultivate. See how there's growth and stewardship in that word? Wants to cultivate a relationship, a friendship with you. Recently, I, I was on vacation. It was good. I had some time to think, and I was fishing, and I feel like the Lord really speak to me. He said, I know that you work for me, but are we friends? That very much felt like for me in that moment, like God was speaking to me. You work for me, but are we friends? I think maybe that's for someone here today too. How easy it is for us to try to prove ourselves and how hard it is for us just to stop and pause and say, Jesus, help me to see you as my friend and walk in the freedom of what that means for my life. When was the last time you ever just called Jesus your friend? You said, thank you, Jesus, for being my friend. It doesn't deny that he's Lord of Lords, but to recognize that he's your friend. Thank you for being my friend. I want to end today by inviting you to see Jesus as your friend. Would you do this with me? Can we do an exercise together? Is that okay? The band's going to play this classic song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. The song's been in my head since we started. We don't often end reflecting on a classic hymn, but I thought it was a great way that we could pause for a minute. I don't know if you're like me, you need pause in your life. So today, I just invite you to close your eyes, unless you're going to fall asleep, in which case, I don't know, stand. <laughs> I don't know, whatever you want to do. You're free. Put yourself in a posture, I guess, of just reflecting. Here's what I want you to do. Just an exercise together. This is something that was shared to me, and it really helped me. Shared from another pastor, and I want to share it with you today. I want you to think of your best friend. Maybe it's a friend you have now. Maybe it's a friend you had in the past. Just begin right now, eyes closed, just picture them. Just think about them. Think about who they are. Maybe it's a spouse or a family member. And just think of that friend. Maybe it's, maybe they're still in your life. Thank God for them. 
Begin to picture what you've gone through. Begin to savor those feelings, those feelings when you think of them, when you dwell on them. Maybe some of you are like, I don't think I've had that friend. Picture what you've seen in others who've had that friend. We're going to dwell on that. Okay, now take all that feeling, wherever you are, however you're reflecting, take all that feeling of your best friend, of that best friend, and begin to place that feeling upon Jesus. Because often we don't give ourselves the freedom to even begin to think of Jesus this way. So this is just to help us think about Jesus in a new way. Begin to allow the same emotions about Jesus. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, but he's also your friend. So thinking on the friend, as good as that friend is, Jesus is better. As merciful as that friend was, begin to understand that Jesus is even more merciful. As gracious as that friend is, Jesus is more gracious. As supportive and loving as that friend is, Jesus is more supporting and loving. As proud of you as that friend is, Jesus is infinitely more proud of you. Just begin to rest on him. And as you do, here's all I just want to invite you. This is a little different response. But wherever you are, just begin to speak to your friend Jesus and just say, thank you for being my friend. To Jesus, my friend, I thank you. And as the band sings, as I just invite you, just respond and allow him to minister to your heart as you speak to him. Thank you. 
stand with me this morning, just eyes closed and head bowed as you stand. This posture, it's reflecting on how good Jesus is. So thankful for him. And my prayer is that we would just continue, even when we leave this place in just a moment, to be reflecting on that friendship with Jesus. And everything we do, even in this series and in the week to come, will be birthed out of that friendship. But this morning, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want to give opportunity for those who have never experienced the hope and healing that comes from a friendship with Jesus. You know, through Jesus Christ, there's hope for every future and healing for every past. And so every eye closed and every head bowed because I want this to be a decision between you and your friend Jesus Christ. If you're here to say, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior today. I surrender my heart to you. I confess my sins before you, and I long for you as my Lord and Savior. I choose you as my Lord and Savior, and I commit to following you. Jesus, be my friend this morning. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up and put it down this morning? Let me pray for you. And just agree with me, church. If you're one of those who raised your hand here in this room or online, I'm just going to pray over you and know that Scripture said, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We thank you today, Jesus, that God, through you we are new creations. And so to those who in this moment have said, Jesus, I choose you as my Lord and Savior, I pray right now that you would impart to them the Holy Spirit right now, that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in so doing so, they would begin to recognize how deep and how great your love for them is, that the old is gone, that the sins are washed away and they are made new, that they are raised to life in you. And we praise God in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said... Amen. Can we celebrate those decisions this morning? I really want to encourage you. I know this is ending service a little differently, but I, I just felt really called to have a moment of reflection. So I want to encourage you, if you want to continue in that, that you're welcome to, to stay here and just reflect, or even I'll be up front if you want prayer. Uh, but I want to encourage you today that as, as you go, to go reflecting and recognizing Jesus as your friend. Maybe in your prayer time this week, in the morning, just begin to say, Jesus, my friend, and allow that to stir your heart and allow that to stir your friendships. And second of all, we want you to have friendships with the body of believers. So as we are learning Jesus as friend, we are learning it together. And so since small groups launched today, I just want to say, I really want to encourage you, please, on your way out, register for a small group so you can build that relationship together. It's going to be a great series. And finally, I want to encourage you, bring a friend or bring someone that you know needs 
greater connection and relationships. Maybe you're their only connection. Would you just honor them in their life by bringing them here to make deeper relationships so they can have another person to lean on, to be supported by, and let's just fill this place with the lonely so they can encounter not only friendship with Jesus, but friendship with each other. Amen. Tonight we have a presence night that Gillian and I are leading. And I really encourage you, it's, it's going to be such a great time of praying together and worshiping together. Uh, it's very renewing and, and energizing in that time, so I encourage you come. We look forward to seeing you tonight at 5 o'clock, but be blessed. Sign up for a small group. Drop your connection card on your way out. We look forward to seeing you tonight at 5 o'clock. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.